Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to another new episode of How Bitches Are Made. I am your host, Rachel Melvin. Hello, everybody. I hope your week is off to a fantastic start. Um, We're back with another bonus episode that I'm really excited to share with you guys. This week, we are talking about change. But before we jump into that, I thought that maybe I would start the episode by giving you guys some upbeat, positive pieces of news or exciting things that I've discovered that I think you might also like and find uplifting. I don't know how many of you are familiar with ASMR, but it's something that I started listening to probably eight years ago, and it was really kind of a strange way that I stumbled upon it. So if you're unfamiliar with the concept, it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And they kind of describe it as like mini mind orgasms that create a tingling effect that move down your spine and cause you to feel like instantaneously relaxed. And it can be triggered by different sounds. So someone's soothing voice, a whisper, if they talk in a soft tone, if they over-articulate or over-enunciate. For me, my trigger is um, foreigners to the U.S. that speak English. And the reason why is because it's not their first language. They tend to over-enunciate. And I really, really just love that sound, I guess. And um, it happened one day where I was in a pharmacy and the pharmacist, her first language was not English. And she had like a really calming, very demure voice, kind of like this. And she over articulated everything and was like, how can I help you today? I just happened to be super stressed out and it immediately made me calm down and feel just like, I don't know, I'd smoked a bowl. It was so amazing. So one night I couldn't sleep and I was like trying to find like soothing voices just to kind of help me relax enough to where I could get into that state. And I stumbled upon this community of ASMR videos. And honestly, at first I thought it was like some underground weird ass fetish thing that I had that I didn't understand. And so I didn't tell people about it initially because I was kind of embarrassed and ashamed. And then I kind of didn't, just over time started to not care anymore. Even though people still very much think I'm a weirdo for being into it. And that's fine. But it works for me and it might work for you. And if it doesn't, that's cool. If it does, great. Welcome to the community. Anyway, so as I continue to watch these ASMR videos years later, which by the way, my favorite person, in case you're wondering, is Gentle Whispering. Her name is Maria. She's from Russia. Um, Despite what's going on in the world right now, she did not not cause it or start it so be nice she is so wonderful and has a lovely voice and wonderful spirit and um she's lost her accent a little bit which kind of makes me sad (laughs) but because she's been in the state so long now but um she's just very very great at it so if you're looking to get into it or you're curious her channel is a great place to start and you can find her on youtube So anyway, I watch Maria's channel all the time and occasionally on her, before her videos, there will be ads, obviously, and I came across this ad for new bras for girls with tiny boobs like me, the Tiny Titty Committee, and it's called Pepper. And I've seen these ads for months and I've been like very curious about it. Well, I finally pulled the trigger and I bought it. You guys, 
This company is so amazing. I'm not collaborating with them. They haven't paid me to tell you any of this. I'm just telling you my personal experience. I ordered three different bras, the t-shirt, the all you, and the uplift bra, the lift bra. And they're specially designed for people with small boobs. So double A cups, A cup, or B cup. Their smallest band, I believe, is a 30. It might be a 28. I have to double check. But I ordered their bras. was super excited to get them. I finally got them. Oh, my God. They're awesome. They're so great. So if you're like me or if you're dating someone that has tiny boobs, please check out this brand. Their website is wearpepper.com. They're really, really a smart company and they're not only like fulfilling a need in the marketplace for people like me with smaller frames that really need something that fits. So their whole angle is they eliminate the cup gap and if you're a girl wearing a bra, you understand what that means and this does that. Not only does it fill a need, as I said, in the marketplace, it really helps body image, people that are suffering with body image. I just wrote them a note to the CEO and founder, how much it means to me. For all of you that have been following this podcast from the beginning, you know, I've I've written about body image issues that have come up for me personally, and specifically in ways that are unique to my profession, such as being in a wardrobe fitting and having there was one production in particular, where they were trying to make me look bustier. And I could never understand why they would put me in bigger bras and try to stuff them and use contour makeup. And I'm like, just put me in a smaller bra to give the illusion that I have more because there'll be more spillage. They never did this. And it it was just like a very humiliating experience to have multiple people working with your boobs or lack thereof and talking about how they're not big enough. It just does a lot of psychological damage or can. I really, really love this product, what they're doing, the need they're fulfilling, obviously. And honestly, they're just such comfortable bras and they do they make me feel like I actually have boobs now so it's it's really great can't say enough about them again the brand is called pepperwearpepper.com and they're very affordable in my opinion second thing I wanted to talk about is kind of relating to this episode actually with change there's a couple series that I'm really, really excited about that we've been watching. And one of them, I'm sure a lot of you have already heard of. It is called The Dropout on Hulu that Amanda Seyfried is starring in as Elizabeth Holmes. And she is doing a phenomenal job. Her acting is just so superior. The show is so captivating and well-written and really well done. So if you're looking for a new show to get into, that one's great. Again, it's on Hulu called The Dropout. The second series that I'm really excited about, and it's kind of within the same theme, is Super Pumped. Admittedly, I don't love the title. It kind of turned me off and it delayed me from watching it for a really long time, but I love Joseph Gordon Lovett. And um, I obviously have used Uber, and so I was really interested to hear the story behind it. That is another one that's just really well written and really well done, really well acted. But what intrigues me about this show specifically is the main character, the CEO, creator, founder of Uber, Travis Kalanick. I didn't know anything about him before I watched this. And of course, I always watch it with the mindfulness that this is Hollywood's version of the character. It's one person's perception or interpretation. He admittedly is is a self-proclaimed asshole, which I think is so funny because at least in the way the series is conveying, He believes you need to be an asshole in order to be a strong and successful entrepreneur. And that's kind of the concept of how bitches are made. (laughs) You know, you have to be tough and you have to play dirty sometimes and do things that are questionable morally in order to sustain your business or get it to the level of success that you want. That's that belief anyway. But I just find it really interesting. His attitude, I find to be really insightful in a lot of ways for me personally, what I'm going through right now, I've, I've found it to be very inspiring. Again, there's a lot of things that he does that I perhaps would not do. It's just very fascinating. And, you know, for all of us that have used the app, we remember certain headlines as they happened and came in real time. So to kind of see the way things were unfolding behind the scenes, again, at least according to Hollywood, is really, really interesting. So those are two shows that Kevin and I are currently watching right now that we really, really like. And I think kind of pertain to what most people might be feeling and going through right now in reference to this episode's topic, which as I said, is change. 
So without further ado, let's hear this piece. It's a quick one this week, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Looking back, all I see is rubble. Destruction of my past in shambles. Nothing looks the way I remembered, and nothing beckons me to return outside of a memory that no longer exists. My friends have all dispersed, moved on to greener pastures, quite literally, and I am left in what most closely resembles the Dust Bowl, depicted in Grapes of Wrath. Only, everyone is venturing east, no longer west. The government has driven them out, and all we have now is each other. It's hard to start over when the end is still unfurling, dust still settling as the remnants of the last two years make themselves known. We have to rebuild. Try telling that to a child who was almost done with their Lego building, only to have some older bully wipe it away and kick it into pieces just when they went to put on that finishing piece. We are all broken, attempting to gather enough pieces to look put together enough to seem unaffected. Perhaps if we pretend our way out of this reality, we can manage to escape it. The landscape looks different now and will continue to look different daily, as we all rebuild new lives, skeptical someone won't come along and destroy the Legos as we meticulously stack them back day after day. I wonder how people will change as a result. Will we more resemble the maturity recognized in the 1930s, when war forced six-year-olds to smoke in order to bear the stress bestowed upon them? An 18-year-old's fought for our country to return home looking more like their fathers than the boys we remembered sending off. Will we recognize entitlement is no longer a luxury we can afford? Will we learn how to work hard once again and pride ourselves on the results of having done so? How can we possibly go back to filters and influencing? How can we possibly go back to housewives and Kardashians? Times change, but how can they change us? Can they? I feel changed. I feel more tired, less free, more restricted. I feel less joy. I feel more isolated, less whole, more stressed. I feel more old. Change can be a really, really great thing. And when we look back in hindsight, we can appreciate change because for the most part, especially when it comes to technology, it creates more ease and convenience in our life. But when change is initially presented to us, we have a reluctance and that's because it's unknown and that creates fear. Just like any new bill that's brought into legislation or things that we are to vote on, there's pros and cons, right? And you never know which is going to outweigh the other. Because the truth is, no matter what avenue you go down, there are cons and there are pros. Which avenue has more pros and which one has more cons? Well, it's, it's hard to have that amount of foresight because, again, we're talking about something that that we haven't dealt with before. And typically, when we make decisions, we base it off of former experience, which going back to Super Pumped and Uber is why Travis faced so much reluctance for people to invest in him and the initial, like Mark Cuban, passed on him. Because as you're watching his story unfold, Travis Kalnick's, you're seeing all the odds he was up against, all these hurdles he had to overcome, which again, in the series of bonus episodes, I keep saying that's kind of the state that I'm in right now is just butting up against hurdle after hurdle, roadblock after roadblock, and trying to deal with it the best way possible. And the reason I find this story of Travis is so inspiring is because his attitude is is different than mine and I would venture to guess most people's he doesn't take no for an answer he gets fined for something he's like fuck it I'll be so successful I'll be able to afford those fines give me the citations I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and pressing on and I think there's a lot of people that don't operate that way we come from a place of hesitancy and fear because of the unknown and what could happen and well if the worst does happen will we be able to get ourselves out of it will we be able to afford to get ourselves out of it with regard to change specifically i think there's feeling doubtful nervous or hesitant about the unknown and then there's just this reluctance because We like the way things are currently. They're working for us. We don't have a problem with it. And if things change too much, what if it creates this domino effect that then changes everything and we have to restructure the way 
we think, the way we live, the way we make decisions. And part of the reason I'm bringing this up is because, again, we keep talking about, and I'm sorry that we do, but it unfortunately is a part of life still, this COVID fallout. Yeah, we're rebuilding as a society, but the government has made a lot of decisions and implemented a lot of things that have fundamentally affected the way families, businesses, and individuals think, feel, operate, live, work, plan, what have you. And that is change. And it's not change that anyone was expecting. It's unforeseen change. Luckily, humans are very, very adaptable. And we can work with what we're given and try to make the best of it. But that doesn't mean that it's not difficult and it's a very lengthy, confusing process. For me, this piece was written because a lot of things were kind of coming to a head in my life. There's this thing that was going on with me and Kevin. There's, as I said, friends. Like, literally, my last friend is moving to Tennessee in like two weeks. And that's it. That's it. All I have now is Kevin, which I'm grateful for. He's great. <laughs> but but that even brings up a new thing for change for me. I'm getting married. And look, I'll be really candid about this. I am an extremely independent woman. I didn't used to be that way. That's the whole journey of this podcast. I used to be a girl that was looking for a partner, looking for love, looking for someone to share my life with. And depending on someone else for my survival, my happiness, my happy ever after, just only ever made me really fucking depressed, miserable, and lost. And so I kind of threw caution to the wind, abandoned all of that thinking and planning, and was like, fuck getting married, fuck having kids. I'm going to be a self-made woman. I'm going to do all these things on my own and prove to myself that I don't need a man to have this life or happily ever after that I want I'm perfectly capable of giving that to myself well so I kind of went from one extreme to the other which tends to happen and now I find myself (laughs) this is all just so fucking ironic (laughs) so of course that's what got me to get engaged (laughs) that's the secret but Kevin and I were just talking the other day his perception of me is vastly different than my mother's perception of me my mother's constantly telling me I just get so worried because you're such a giving person and you give more than you get. Yes, she was right. But now, Kevin's right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Kevin knows me as this woman that has a very hard time sharing, that's very independent, that is very business-oriented, that has to consciously practice and become mindful of being in a partnership and thinking in terms of us and a we versus a me and an I. So he hears my mom say things like that and he's like, who are you talking about? And she she hears things that he says about me and she's like, who are you talking about? And I'm like, you're both right. I'm learning to come back to the middle now and find the balance. So yeah, I do I do have a lot of thoughts and feelings and nerves and like worries about getting married. At the end of the day, I know that it's truly what I want. It'll all be fine. But what it boils down to is change. It's just my life is going to change. It's not going to be, oh, here's a decision I'm just going to make for myself. No, I have to bring somebody else into the conversation (laughs) and talk about it, which I'm going to be honest with you fucking sucks. (laughs) I hate it. I hate it. But it is worth it for me in the end because of all the other things that being in a partnership gives me that do make me happier and have made me a better person. I also know that once I get married, there's other things to think about and consider, like whether or not we're going to bring more people into our family dynamic. And that bodes a bigger question, which ties into me even going back home um, a couple weeks ago to visit my parents and help them out, was I think subconsciously anyway, 
I knew that this was one of the last times that I was going to be with my parents alone. And I remember having that feeling even when my sister got engaged. That was like another thing of change. It's not going to be just the five of us anymore. The five of us being my mom, my dad, my grandma, me and my sister. Now it was the five of us plus Whitney, my sister-in-law. And then it was plus my nephew and then plus my niece. And now it's plus Kevin. And that's totally normal. But For my family, you know, us girls, we got married later in life. And so what became the norm was kind of just the five of us as a unit. And now that family unit is branching off and it's creating an overall bigger family unit, but it's then also creating a different dynamic that is not comfortable for us because it's not what we're used to. And I've seen that theme play out every time someone in our family gets married I'm sure that's probably normal. To be honest, I've never talked to other family members about their feelings of these things happening, but my experience is they're all very excited to extend their family. My family's a little more private. We're a little more hesitant. I have a ton of reasons why I think that is psychologically. I'm not going to get into. But nonetheless, it all comes back to this idea and concept of change. And I think the biggest thing is when things transform into something that we don't recognize It's kind of like waiting in cold water. We have to get used to it. We have to find the opportunities in what is otherwise perceived as problematic or undesirable. I never saw myself in a million years moving back to the desert that I grew up in, which I guess technically I'm not. I'm not in the desert that I grew up in, but I was raised in a desert and I've always considered myself to be a city girl. And my mom would tell me, for months and years. Oh, Rachel, one day you'll grow out of that. I was the same. I loved Chicago. I was all about Chicago. I never thought I'd ever leave. And then I did. And I moved to the suburbs and I had a different life. Well, when she was telling me that at the time, I was like, that would literally be the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I would want to kill myself. Granted, I was in my 20s and being very overdramatic. I would never say anything like that now. But I did. I thought that that would literally be like the worst thing that could happen to me. Well, here I am. A pandemic occurred and the trajectory of my life changed. And now the dynamics of my life have changed. The people in my life have changed. And there's a lot of things I I love and prefer about the desert or suburbia, if you want to call it that, to the city. But there's still a lot of things that I fucking miss about the city. What I have come to learn is an excellent tool at adapting and dealing with change especially now at the rate that it seems to be occurring in our lives, is finding opportunities. So if you're like me and consider yourself a cautiously optimistic person or a realist, or you are someone that people often refer to as a skeptic or a cynic, People refer to me as a skeptic and and as a cynic, but I refer to myself as the former two that I mentioned. If you're someone that that resonates with, it can be really challenging to get yourself out of that programmed way of thinking. Kevin has been instrumental for me getting out of that way of thinking because he's very light. I'm very dark. He is very light. Kevin is a dreamer. He's very positive. He's very optimistic. That causes him to not always see potential problems that might occur further down the line. Whereas I only see potential problems that might occur further down the line. And I don't tend to see all the opportunity that might come out of a situation. So in bridging the gap, Kevin helps me find more opportunity and I help him have more caution I believe this is what it means when they say, oh, you're better half. Because <laughs> I will always say Kevin's a better half because notoriously more positive people are seen as, you know, being more ideal to be around and be in good company with versus someone that's a cynic. But cynics have value too. And it's that we're grounded and we can help avoid catastrophes. Now, this brings up a very interesting point, actually, something that I came across while I was up north with my parents too about catastrophizing and catastrophizing is literally 
only seeing what could go wrong. And at the first sign of something going wrong, you immediately think it's the worst thing that could ever happen and you go in this downward spiral, which is something I totally do. And I guess they're calling that an error in the way your brain processes things. So that's just another way that Kevin has been really valuable to me too. I've now told him, hey, you can tell me when I'm catastrophizing because the way that was explained to me is very insightful. And I can then be like, okay, I'm not actually looking at this realistically. I, I'm looking at it from fear-based. I'm fearing that all of these things are going to actually, all these bad things are going to actually happen. And the thought behind catastrophizing Um, from a therapist perspective, is that when you do this, you then attract or cause these things to in fact happen, even though you're trying to avoid them. So the way she explained it is, you're going to go confront somebody. And I actually remember my therapist telling me this when I had to have a conversation with my manager. She was like, well, why don't you tell that person this? And I said, well, because if I do this, then they're going to say this. And she goes, but you don't know that they're actually going to say this. Yes, I do. She said that before. Okay, but you don't actually know that she'll say it this time. That's true. Okay. So assuming that they're going to act a certain way, you're going to go in there with this kind of um, defensiveness already in you, which will then cause her to be defensive. And then it will allow what you were fearing to come to fruition. So the thing that I've tried really hard to do is recognize when I'm catastrophizing and work extra hard at reprogramming my default settings, so to speak, not to make myself sound like a fucking robot, but to recognize opportunity in change versus threat. Let's use the Lego analogy that I made reference to in this piece. So let's pretend you built a castle out of Legos and you're about to put on the flag, the finishing touch, and someone comes and kicks your Legos down. And they're like, now you have to build it all over again. And you're like, motherfucker, I spent six years working on that. Who the hell are you to come down and tell me what I got to do? And what I've since realized through all of these episodes we've been talking about is finding the opportunity. You know what? I'm glad you kicked down my fucking Lego because I didn't like the way I built this tower. In fact, I had a better idea for that tower that is not only going to look better and function better, people are going to like it more, which then might propel my career, get me more recognition. That's an opportunity to do better, to learn from my mistakes and find a way to use this restart to my advantage. That's what I'm talking about with change. The other thing we have to recognize about change is that we never like it at the beginning usually. We can be excited about it, but it it feels different in the beginning. And some people are actually very good with that. I would say that Kevin's actually very good with that. A lot of people aren't. We compare it to what we had and suddenly what we had looks even better than it did when we had it. And now we, we wish that we had it and we could get it back. And why can't this new thing be more like that? It was so, so much more simple. I am a huge offender of that belief because I think so many more things were simpler before technology advanced to the degree that it has. But at the same time, I think a lot of things in life are simpler because of technology. So we just have to accept, we have to have this acceptance that change is inevitable and we are initially going to have a reluctance to it and that's okay we can have an appreciation for what used to be. We can try to integrate it still into what's going on. But what we really should be doing is opening ourselves up to opportunities and possibilities with whatever this change is. We have to be open to it. It's really the only choice we have. And I think right now, we're not really fully immersed in the change we're kind of in this transition period which is that fallout from COVID that I keep talking about and that's what makes it so hard is this transition has been forever long and there's all this change that's being implemented in the interim that almost feels too fast it's too fast like gas prices you guys want us to be able to afford gas prices when so many of us have changed careers if if we've even gotten a new one yet We've changed locations. We don't have the income or stability that we used to. We might have more or less household members now that we can claim or are responsible for. We have to commute further or we can't commute at all or we're still unemployed. You want us to try to rebuild this economy, but we can't. We can't. 
And that's what I mean. They're trying to like speed up the process of rebuilding our economy. And it's just, it's not sustainable or, or feasible, honestly, with how people are still kind of like reeling from everything that happened and picking up the pieces and trying to rebuild their own life and determine like my parents where they're going to live. So much of their retirement conundrum is based on how their income is going to change and they're not entirely sure how it's going to change can they still afford to live in California or can they not is their house going to be worth as much as it is now in six months or do they need to try to sell it now and if so where are they going to go in the interim of course there's no time to sit down and think about all these things because my dad still has a job this is happening to everybody in so many different unique circumstances that are truthfully not that unique but we also don't have the community to be talking about all of this to where we can exchange information with each other that helps us make the best decision or informed decision I don't have a community anymore and it's really hard to rebuild when you don't have a community because we need each other and I think that's kind of the other variable that's kind of like the wrench thrown into this machine is that a lot of us don't have that because we were in isolation for so long and our people skills diminished or we got comfortable being in isolation and now we don't like people even more than we already didn't like them or we realize hey we can do this on our own we don't need anyone else Kevin and I were in that boat at the start of quarantine there were a lot of things that happened where we had no help at all and we had to adapt and do it all on our own which was great for our relationship great for developing our skills and our knowledge and knowing how to navigate our way in this new career that we're focusing on but it was also really hurtful it it really really hurt to feel that lack of community or feel like we couldn't depend on anybody and naturally you think well fuck everybody else then I don't need them I'll just do it on my own But really, that's kind of like puffing up your chest and being in denial. We're social creatures. We need each other. We need each other for many reasons, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. We need each other's knowledge. That was the whole concept of having a trade and making trades back in the day. You have a skill set that I don't have. I need you to either teach me that skill set or I need to pay you for that skill set to help me get through this muck that I'm stuck in. And in whatever way I can, I'll return the favor for what muck you might be stuck in that I might have the skill set to get you out of. Fuck, Kevin and I can't even get people to fucking call us back that we're trying to pay to help us because the demand is so high and then the supply is so scarce. It's just, it's so much to deal with. And it's no wonder that change is so unnerving and scary and difficult There's no trust instilled in us or given to us right now to believe anything we're told, to believe that things won't change after we're told them, to where it's causing us to freeze. Like we can't move forward. We're stuck in this limbo because there's no trust. Changing the landscape of your life can be extremely difficult, especially if you don't know what you want it to look like or if you're trying to base that landscape around what ifs. This is something my parents are doing with the retirement. I just think that this is such a great example. So they can't really make a decision because they're basing it off all of these what ifs and all of these external factors that are not within their control. And my advice to them was, look, you have to make a decision without that influence. Where do you want to live? And what do you need to do to live there? So One of the things I I had said to them is like, look, if you want to stay in California, you'll have to downsize. You'll have to get a smaller house than the one that you're in and the one that you'd be looking to buy if you were to move out of here. Two, if you don't want to stay in California, then you got to think about where you're going to live. Well, we want to live by your friends. Okay, but then you're not going to be by your family. What's more important to you, friends or family? Because you can live by family and then you can always travel and see friends. And one of the things, they found this perfect house that they wanted in Phoenix, but it was so expensive. And I was like, well, are you going to be house poor? And they said, yes. And I'm like, you're going to be house poor and you're not going to be around your family and you'll never be able to take trips to go see your family and you'll never be able to go take trips to enjoy life in your retirement, which is the whole point of retirement. So, You have to think about what you really want. And one of the things I said to them was, and if you feel like you're trying to base this decision off a fixed income you're going to have, then you have to find a way to get passive income. And, you know, for us, that is something that 
um, is a possibility. And that's something that we can all kind of come together and cultivate should that be the decision the family wants to make as a whole. But when you have a passive income, I told them, like maybe that's what you should actually be focusing on. Because if you have a passive income and you're making decisions to get that goal, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now you have more options to live the life you want. Some of these things that you think are going to happen might not have to happen if this is another option. So these are things like I try to tell people is like take away the external influence and take away the financial situations. Start with what you want. What will make your life fulfilling, full, and happiest? What will bring you the most joy? And then bring in the variables and factor them in you're gonna have to compromise a little bit but you can still make a decision that cultivates that joy you want in a way that is very manageable and doesn't bring on stress into the equation additionally or if it does bring in stress how are you going to offset that stress in other words don't compromise your happiness because of these restrictions that I know I keep saying things don't matter and I don't want people to misconstrue what I mean. Obviously, things matter. We need to pay bills. We need electricity. I understand all of that. But I'm saying at the end of the day, what is most important is that you're being present and enjoying life. And if you're not enjoying life, what is the point? So we have to make decisions to where that is the priority number one. And there's concessions and decisions that we make as a result of wanting that joy. Maybe that means you live in a 400 square foot house. That sounds crazy to some people. I've done it. I've done it with Kevin. I've done it with Kevin during quarantine. It made our relationship stronger. It made me realize I don't need as much stuff in my life. It made me not want as much stuff in my life. You know, it just, it did. It edited my life in so many other ways and it made me feel better. And it was it was also like economically practical and it, it served so many of our goals. Having to give up this thing that we hold so tightly, which is this American dream and having all these materialistic things where if you let go of those concepts and if you realize they're not actually going to make you happy, then you might really find the happiness that you want. And you'll have the funds to do these things like travel or I don't know what the hell you're into. It's just we have to restructure the way we're thinking and reprioritize what's important to us in order to play this change to our advantage and have it be really effective and impact us in a really positive way and actually garner us more than we ever expected we we could have or that would make us happy. In other words, don't depend on anyone or anything to bring you the happiness that you're after. You have to get it on your own. And when change is introduced into our lives, it's the perfect opportunity to start doing that. Otherwise, if we leave it to other people, we feel these things that I said in the piece. We feel stress. We feel old. We don't feel joy. We feel more restricted. We feel less free. We feel more exhausted. We're running. We're beating our heads against the wall. We're fighting things that we can't control. We feel incomplete. We feel less whole. We feel alone. All of these things, you have to regain control. You have to regain control and realize that if you don't want to feel all these negative feelings that you feel at the mercy of someone else dictating what you can or cannot do based on the variables, mandates, laws, what have you being issued, you have to leave it up to yourself to navigate the waters and make the decisions that you need to make to change with the times, go with the flow, and play them to your advantage. This is a great time to get in touch with your intuition and what you're really feeling. But again, that can be really hard to do when you don't have all the facts, which 
is part of the situation that Kevin and I are going through, which is why it's so stressful. And all these things that I said, I feel tired. I feel stressed. I feel old. I feel like I have aged 10 years in the last two years because of the amount of of adulting I've had to do that I was ill-equipped to handle. A lot of us can say that. Most of us can say that. I think this is why people like my grandmother are even more of a loss at the times that we lost them because that was a generation that had already gone through this and at least we could look to them to kind of get guidance wisdom or or help us navigate our way through it although my grandma would be the first one to tell you I don't know what the hell is going on in this world today because again she's stuck in the past but to her argument the past was better in the sense that people treated each other better they did they cared more about their neighbor they cared more about actually making someone's life easier they weren't so monetarily driven which I think brings up another thing that we recently watched last night. We watched Downfall, the case against Boeing on Netflix. It's a about an hour and a half documentary. And we watched a couple Datelines or 2020s on this. It was the two 737 MAX planes that crashed. And I watched this documentary and I was just like, I thought to myself, this is the problem. This is the classic story of the American problem right now if not the entire world's problem, everyone is so fucking money-driven that it's causing so much corruption and the the people that are really getting affected the most by it is the little guy. I said this, I think, the first episode of this bonus series when we were talking about authority. There's no incentive to be a good, decent person anymore because the decent people are the ones getting shit on by the people that don't care. And all these criminals, I'm sorry, I believe they were criminals, the people at Boeing included, they're not being held accountable for their actions. Like, the worst thing that happened to them was they had to pay $2.3 billion in penalties and fines for defrauding the FAA. What did they have to do for killing all of those people and affecting the families of all those people that died in those crashes? I I mean, this happens in so many different scenarios. I gave you guys examples. Anna Delvey, Elizabeth Holmes, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, Robert Durst, Frank Abagnale, Bernie Madoff, Anthony Strangis. Billy McFarland. If you think, oh yeah, but all these people eventually got caught and, you know, prosecuted, they're also making money off documentaries and articles. They're not really facing the kind of repercussions that most of us average Joes would face. That is extremely bothersome to me. I don't even know what to say about it. And I feel like so much of of what is going on right now, regardless of what your opinions are or have been over the last two years, I just think it's similar. I think it's similar. I think there's a lot of shady shit going on, a lot of information being withheld that shouldn't be withheld, and it's all at the expense of, of everyday people. And the ones causing all this turmoil are the ones that aren't affected and aren't really going to be reprimanded. Not really. And it's all because we've now become a society that values money over anything. We value it over being good. We value it over making the world a better place. And that's super sad. So it makes sense to me that people are reluctant for change because a lot of the change makers kind of are motivated by money. And therefore, we can't, again, trust that they're thinking about everything else that they need to that goes into the change they're making that affects other people. Their decisions affect other people in a way that they're protected from. And that's why we have to be extra diligent about protecting ourselves and doing extra work going above and beyond. I'm somebody that... I've basically developed a very acute interest in law all of a sudden because of everything. Like I want to know as much information as I can because again, I don't want to get screwed and I assume everyone's going to screw me. And I really do campaign for people to just protect themselves and do what they can to make sure that they're as affected as least as they can be. And one of the ways we do that is by building community, having conversations, telling each other about our experiences because you get information that way that helps you navigate your way through something else. That's why it's 
it's very important to have a community and I think that's why this is so detrimental specifically with what I'm going through feeling like I don't have that anymore that's something that I really need to focus on rebuilding that's a topic of an upcoming episode that we'll get into further I think moments like this can be a really great opportunity for us to kind of implement everything we've talked about. Think about how we feel about authority, form some opinions and understandings about what that term means, who you revere as authority, why, who you trust, who you actually want to listen to. Recognize when you're having anxiety. What is it trying to tell you? What is it trying to alert you to? Um, what is it bringing to the forefront of your mind that is a priority and a concern that you need to focus on more than anything else? The power of the pause, sitting in silence, taking a beat to actually formulate a well thought out plan, not trying to fight challenges before you're ready to know how you want to fight them and waiting for things to unfurl more so you can get more information and make a better, more informed decision realizing what your regrets are, what you've learned from past decisions you've made and how you can make better decisions moving forward. And then of course this week, how you want to deal with change, how you want all of that to influence what the new landscape of your life is going to look like. How are you going to make it better? How are you going to make yourself stronger? How are you going to navigate your way around all these things outside of your control or things that are trying to get in your way to still have that life that you want and so much deserve? How are you going to revere these entities that might be telling you no? How are you going to change their no into a yes? How are you going to say yes to yourself to make sure that you still get what you want by playing both sides to the middle so that you're protected, you're falling in line so to speak, but not compromising yourself, your standards, your worth, or what you deserve in this life? How are you going to turn this obstacle into an opportunity? How are you going to take advantage of this opportunity in the most effective way possible? I think the final thing that I'll say about change is that it does cause us to naturally reflect in one way or another. Because if we're thinking about the past and having an appreciation for certain things that we don't have anymore, things that have changed, that influences us moving forward. For instance, we were all so focused on ourselves before the pandemic and caught up in our careers or our impact in the world or our mission or our purpose and our relationships kind of fell by the wayside. Again, I'm speaking from my own experience so that some of you might not find that statement true for you or relatable, may not resonate with you, but for those of you that it does... I think that you will agree. The pandemic was a nice wake-up call and shake from the universe to realize the things that we're taking for granted that we're overlooking every day that really make life worthwhile and it that really life is all about, that we're not focused on, that we're missing. A lot of people, I think, Part of the reason they are moving is because they realized there's more in this world outside of the bubble that they believed was their entire world. So people from LA are moving east. They want more greenery. They want more space. I know a lot of people were jumping in their cars and hitting the road and going to national parks and really seeing the beauty of this continent and country of ours. And they were getting out in the world. They were getting outside, which is something I'm not entirely sure children do anymore and something that I don't think I did much outside of my own childhood and taking my dog Murphy to the park when I lived in LA, which I was so grateful to live so close to a park. I didn't even know that there were parks in the city until I stumbled upon it one day. Never even considered or thought about it. You know, in LA, it's it's specific too because the weather is nice all year long. I would say that people in the Midwest and the East Coast, they have a deeper appreciation for being outdoors because they can't be all the time. Not nearly as much as people on the West Coast can, specifically California. But it was a nice reminder. That was an example of unforeseen, unprecedented, and unwelcome change that, you know, I think people did recognize and see and find the silver lining in and they did take advantage of it as much as they can. My only hope is we don't forget that when life starts to resume and the machine starts to speed up and gets to the speed that we last saw it before any of this happened. 
I think that's all I have to say about change. I hope I covered everything. The only other thing I wanted to tell you guys is I've been on howbitchesaremade.com a little bit more. I'm going to get back into posting some blogs. I also wanted to mention this because it came up in the news. I haven't been watching the news recently because it makes me sad and depressed. But uh, Kevin had his Apple TV on and something came up about Kim Kardashian and she made a comment, I, I guess, about how, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to get up and work hard. And uh, I guess people had a lot of problems with that. I don't know why. She's fucking right. And it's not, <laughs> Kevin looked at me and said, you know, probably the only people that actually had a problem with that are the people that aren't really working hard. And I said, you're probably right, because I work super, super hard. And that comment didn't affect me, didn't offend me in the least. I think she's totally right. We talked about that. And I kind of mention it in this piece, too, about working hard. Like people just think overnight successes happen and hard work doesn't go into it. And even somebody like Kim Kardashian, we think, yeah, you know, she got famous off a sex tape and, you know, she was very opportunistic, which she was. She found the opportunity in it and she did something with it. Good for her. Negative experience. She turned it into a positive and she does bust her ass. Regardless of whether or not you like that family or what they've done, you cannot argue. They work their asses off and they're great businesswomen. And I hate that everyone just got so up in arms about her comment. And I think she took to Good Morning America or something to clarify that it was taken out of context and how she meant it and the way she meant it was exactly as we talked about it a couple weeks ago on this podcast. So I'm probably going to put something about that whole thing on the blog too. I invite you guys to cruise on over, check it out. And also, I've been getting some feedback, which has been really awesome. I've been making connections with people and I'm really excited. I want to thank those people for reaching out. Um, But it made me realize I did not clarify whether or not I had permission to share those comments. So what I'm going to say is if you're a listener of this podcast and you want to provide feedback or share a story or if you have a question, if you do not want me to mention it on this podcast, please specify that in your comment or email or direct message. Otherwise, I will assume I have your permission and I will share it with our listeners. So uh, with all that being said, I think that's it for this week. Uh, Email us, info at howbitchesaremade.com. I am at the Rachel Melvin on Instagram. And be sure to tune in next week for our next episode, which is a little bit more positive. It is about power, which I'm really, really excited for this episode. This was kind of the turning point in my journey to where I started to get on uh, on the mend, so to speak, and where things started to get a little more clear, I felt a little more confident and started to gain more momentum moving forward and kind of getting out of these setbacks. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys. Um, That's it. Consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. 